the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice-Roberts. And in today's episode, we're following Michelle Pfeiffer as an inner city teacher in 1995's Dangerous Minds. So join us in our gangster's paradise. The powerhouse production team of Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer gave us things like Top Gun and Days of Thunder, but they also gave us things like the movie we're going to cover today, which is 1995's Dangerous Minds, which was directed by John N. Smith. And starring the fantastic Michelle Pfeiffer. So what is Dangerous Minds about? Well, IMDb is going to tell you. I'm going to read a synopsis from Claudio Cavallo from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Just to be specific, no Nick Reganas. Sorry, guys. Luan Johnson is an ex-Marine hired as a teacher in a high school in a poor area of the city. She has recently separated from her husband. Her friend, also teacher in the school, got a temporary job for her. After a terrible reception from the students, she tries unconventional methods of teaching using karate, Bob Dylan lyrics, etc., to gain the trust of the students. I think that pretty much sums up Dangerous Minds. It's very much a drama film. It's nicely paced, and it's very much a human story at the heart of it. Yeah, I watched Dangerous Minds in the cinema when it first came out. That's just how old I am. So, so old. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it was, it's a movie I've come back to occasionally over the years. It's not something that's been on my watch list constantly. But after having not seen it for a few years, I thought it might be interesting to revisit it. Certainly for the podcast, partly because I've seen it a few times, but mostly because it's interesting to know what a first time viewer thinks of Dangerous Minds. With the passage of time, this was a movie that came out in the mid-90s and has certain views about ethnic communities, which I think have dated slightly, but I don't think they wreck the movie. I think it's basically some of it is down to kind of Hollywood casting of people who look like they come from the hood. And... I guess that that's the hook, that's to get mainstream audiences in. But given the slightly limited range of emotions that uh, the students have to play off, they are all pretty good in this. I think holding it together, of course, is Michelle Pfeiffer in the lead role. Even if this movie wasn't particularly great, Michelle Pfeiffer would still be extremely watchable in the lead role. She's the person that you keep coming back to she's never anything less than believable in the role of Luan 
who is an ex-marine and is now thrown into this situation where she's trying to teach a class of supposedly unteachable students. I mean, you know what you're going to get here. It's triumph against the odds on all levels. And whereas you might not come out of it thinking that it is the best high school movie you've ever seen, it's not bad, actually. I do like Dangerous Minds, and I think the missteps it does take, the occasional ones, are outweighed by the good in this movie. There are some fairly cliched moments, but it's a Simpson Bruckheimer movie. They trade on cliches. I mean, go into Top Gun and say that Top Gun isn't full of cliches. So when you got a Simpson Bruckheimer movie, you knew exactly what you were getting. And this steps out of their usual zone a little bit, but there's still enough big emotional moments and triumph at the end to remind you basically who's producing this. It's not something that's going to be artistically held up as a great example of its type, but it wasn't meant to be like that anyway. So Dangerous Minds for me is a film that I've always been aware of, and it's one of those that I kind of should watch but haven't got round to it. Not any particular reason why. I remember frequently seeing the Coolio music video for Gangster's Paradise on music channels back in the day, so I was already aware of it. I thought, yeah, this film looks quite interesting. But as I say, don't ask me why I've only got to it till now. That said, I really enjoyed this film on the most part. But as you were saying, Darren, you were quite curious to know how I felt about some of the portrayals in it of the characters. And I think it's a very Hollywoodized version of the hood and people from deprived areas. There's definitely a lot of really cliched stereotypes in terms of the characteristics that they've given these characters. And I think it has done that to obviously appeal to a mainstream audience and it wants to kind of hit those emotional notes as we've discussed as well. There were a few moments in it I genuinely did tear up though, like it actually did you know, get me on an emotional level, which I wasn't expecting. Maybe I was feeling in a bit of a sappy mood, I don't know, but I think I was just very much on board with the character of Luann. I thought Michelle Pfeiffer's performance was excellent and she kept me drawn in the entire time. And I was really rooting for her because I was thinking, no, she's going to turn these kids' lives around and um, everyone's going to come good. That said, when I say kids, I do feel that it is slightly miscast. I mean, I thought the acting was great for the whole ensemble cast. And, you know, there was not a bad performance in there for me. But they've cast people that look at least 30 in these roles it's very much like Greece yeah. <laughs> I don't buy that they're teenagers I feel in films nowadays they do cast a lot better we have people that actually look age appropriate even though they might be out of their teens but they still look young enough I found this quite difficult to believe especially the character of Emilio because I thought he looks almost the same age as Michelle Pfeiffer so I struggled to buy into that but I had to like suspend my disbelief to get on board with it and just immerse myself in the story. It's a bit of a slow burner but it does spotlight on some of the characters. There were some moments I was a bit oh is she being a bit inappropriate and crossing the line like taking her students out to dinner or just taking them out to a theme park that sort of thing. I don't know if we're supposed to feel comfortable with this but her heart's in the right place she's not you know a bad predatory teacher or anything like that but it does make you think has she crossed the line a bit here but this film is actually a biographical film anyway it's a true story by a lady who was an ex-marine 
who taught kids from this deprived area. The uh, title of her book that she documented her experience in is called My Posse Don't Do Homework. And that was nearly the title of this movie, but I don't know if that would almost sound like a comedy. And this definitely isn't a comedy. I guess Dangerous Minds is a little bit more edgy as a title for it. I think My Posse Don't Do Homework is one of the classic titles for a book. But you're right, I think it does have a humorous edge, which might have led people to believe it was a send-up of some kind, but it isn't. I take your point about the casting. Wed Dominguez, who plays Amelia, tragically died of AIDS when he was 32. That was, that was a real shocker. But he was 28, 29 when he played Emilio in this film, so you really can tell with some of the casting that they are way above the age that they're supposed to be. And like you say, you have to suspend some disbelief for the story to work. Even though it's based on true events, I think there's probably some dramatic license taken with some of the things that happen in this movie. But you're willing to be swept along with it because the performances are good, it's quite engaging, it's not hammering you over the head with the message, which it could do. It's surprisingly unpreachy. And Luan does get quite a few knockbacks as well. It's not a situation where she goes in and within a couple of days, everything's fine and she's won the students over. She has to work quite hard to get to where she wants to be. And the respect of her students is quite hard won. It's not that sort of thing where she'll do something and then all of a sudden everybody's her best mate. No, it takes the, pretty much the entire length of the movie to win some of them over. And the way she does it, you could say they're quite corny, but they're also quite entertaining. The way that she does implement some of her marine training by getting them to practice karate moves. And then she calls upon a colleague about poetry and she gets Dylan Thomas and Bob Dylan mixed up because she thinks the colleague is talking about Dylan Thomas but he's talking about Dylan, it's about Mr. Tambourine Man. But they do go on to Dylan Thomas as well, because the students are quite fascinated that Dylan Thomas's poems all seem to be about death, and that he was drunk most of the time. And I don't know how you feel about the casual cast-off remark about Wales. When they're talking about Dylan Thomas being drunk quite a lot of the time, somebody says, the guy's Welsh, there ain't a lot to do there. Now, I'm sure that's not true. In fact, I know that's not true because I've been to Wales. I kind of get the point. I think when you're from Wales and live in Wales, you don't really appreciate it. And I think people like yourself, Darren, who come here for a holiday, you probably get more out of it than we do. Personally, I don't sit at home getting drunk all the time writing poems about death, so um, can't really relate there. But yeah, I can see that some parts of Wales can be quite depressing and deprived, and so who, who knows where that was all coming from. But I thought it was quite a funny line, to be fair. I did have a laugh at it. I take no offence, Dangerous Minds. Well, that's a good thing, yeah. I'm trying to think of a movie that um, has a go at Yorkshire at any point. There must be some. I mean, actually, if you if you watch the whole length, the whole of Blow Dry, the thing about the hairdressing, Josh Hartnett, bless his soul, really has a go at a Yorkshire accent and does not manage to pull it off at all. But I don't think that's offensive. I just think that's somebody saying to Josh Hartnett, oh, you could do Yorkshire accent. And Josh Hartnett saying, well, you know, I'll give it a go. Yorkshire accents are very, very hard to do. So I'm not going to have a go at Josh for that because he is a decent actor and he was in Penny Dreadful and I loved that. So away from Yorkshire, back to Wales, but back to Dangerous Minds. 
quite a good cast as well. Courtney B. Vance as the principal of the school, who unwittingly precipitates the pivotal moment in it. He's kind of the the curriculum is sacred type and nothing should deviate from the path. And you do get Michelle Pfeiffer's character as this, well, not this pioneer, but she realises that if you're just going to serve up all this very standard, dry curriculum stuff, that these kids are not going to respond. So she needs to find a way in. I mean, it's nothing you haven't seen before. But having said that, it's done in a really entertaining way. Even though it takes its time to tell the story, it does it in a way that you don't feel it's dragging. It continuously adds details to the plot and the characters. And even though it's not a forensic examination of the educational system, it's not meant to be. It's just meant to be a story that you're going to get hooked on and you're going to go with these characters for like an hour and 35 minutes. This is the sort of stuff that audiences in the 90s lapped up because it was targeted at mainstream cinema goers. And there's nothing wrong with that, really. Also, George Dezunza, who is Luan's colleague and friend, George Dezunza is brilliant. I love him in pretty much everything that he does. He's got this laid-back persona, but you know that there's something good at the heart of it that's driving him on. I love him in this movie because he's a perfect foil for Michelle Pfeiffer, who's this, you know, even though Michelle Pfeiffer, they're trying to make her look unglamorous. Michelle Pfeiffer in a scratty old jumper and some cowboy boots. She's still Michelle Pfeiffer, so there's a certain level of glamour there, even though they're trying to downplay it. George Zunza looks like an unmade bed. I'm here for that. I tend to look like an unmade bed quite a lot of the time, so I can relate to him. And he does provide a bit of humour when things are getting a little bit too dark. This is a movie where I was a little bit wary of returning to it because I thought oh god how badly is this going to have dated am I just going to be watching it through my fingers and I wasn't really yes there are issues with the stereotyping there's always been issues with the stereotyping I'm sure that back then I thought well this is a little bit as you say Hollywoodized but I don't think it has dated as badly as some other 90s movies that I could mention it's fine and I had quite a good time watching this again, even though as it went along, you can kind of see where things are going to go. Even if you haven't seen it before, I think you know that there's going to be some tragedy along the line somewhere. It's just a question of when and to who. And to be perfectly honest, to who is reasonably obvious as well. But even when it happens, it still packs a bit of a punch, partly because you don't see it happen. And partly because of the reaction of Michelle Pfeiffer's character. Because you see her getting told that this horrible thing has happened. But you see it through the glass of a door. So it almost makes it that you're not there to try and... I mean, this is a weird thing, but you're not there to try and comfort her. I know that you're just an audience member. But the fact that there's distance between you and her, there's a door between you and her, means that you can do nothing about it. You just see her getting really upset about it. and. It's a pretty good moment for a mainstream movie to do something like that, for it to sort of hit you in the feels that way. That is pretty good. Simpson and Bruckheimer movies tend to be explosions and empty headedness. But this one, slightly different. 
and you were on about having a bit of a weep at some point. Well, I can say that pretty much every time Michelle Pfeiffer cried, I cried as well. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely the moment that I felt quite emotional. It, I, it was very moving. And I think, as you say, the distance we get with seeing her reaction, I think maybe we're supposed to see it from the class member's perspective. So when she tells them, it's just really heartbreaking because you've gone on this journey with all these characters and she's worked so hard and got down to be relatable to them and worked with them in a way that she can change their lives and help them and not just stuck to some curriculum and not taking their ideas on board everything like she's really connected with these students and for that to happen you just think it's just the worst thing because you're just hoping that no she's going to turn everyone's lives around and just there's one person she could save, and it is pretty tragic but then the rest of the class do kind of say well we're still here we still want you here what about us and that again was quite a powerful moment and also one of the characters who she becomes close with becomes pregnant and is forced out of the school to go to like a special mother and baby schooling unit and she's not aware that it's not a mandatory requirement that's how the school have manipulated these students to think and how Luan fights her corner I thought that was quite powerful as well and I thought yes I'm really on board with you know seeing this that she's going to support this girl and let her have the education that she has every right to have. Yeah absolutely some of the relationships between Luan and the students are quite sweet. Certainly the relationship with Luan and Callie when she's talking about how she can come back to the school and she doesn't need to go to this special inverted commas unit that she can just come back and carry on as normal. That's very sweet. I think the sweetest one is Luan and Raoul because Raoul yes. starts off as this very brash, doesn't give a shit sort of character. He's this tough little Mexican kid and nobody can tell him anything. And by the end, they're a bit of a double act because she makes him see the potential he's got and the fact that she's saying, well, I might see you in college. And his face is like, oh, I could go to college. And she was like, yeah, the poems are like college level stuff. And he's like, oh, these are easy. So she builds his confidence up in that way. It is quite sweet. I think you could say it's corny as well. And I, I accept people that watch this sort of thing and say, yeah, it's very corny. Yeah, that's fine. But sometimes you need a bit of corniness. You don't really need brutality in this sort of thing for 90 minutes because it just wear you down. You do need some sort of hope at the end. And although it doesn't specifically say where the students are going to go on to, there's enough hints dropped that most of them are going to better themselves and they are going to go on to escape whatever they're trying to escape. A little bit of an idealistic ending. But after you've been through all of this, do you want to just see all these students fail? Of course you don't. I think it's very uplifting and hopeful. That's what I garnered from it by the end. And yeah, as I said, I was rooting for all these students and I wanted to see that they were going to be given these opportunities to improve their lives and not feel that they were going to be stuck in a rut based on society. And I thought that was all done very effectively. And going back to that tragic moment as well that was handled so brilliantly because it wasn't exploitative you didn't need to see anything it was all done through acting and that whole sequence everybody delivered 
I had a really good time in this film. And as you say, there are such horny moments in it and it's obviously trying to push the emotional buttons with the audience. And that's fine, as you say, sometimes. It depends how it's done. I think that's the main thing. And this film does it particularly well. And it does it in a more subtle way because it's not like you've got these big dramatic moments. It's these very quiet, subtle moments that really make you think and get you in the feels, basically. So I really did enjoy this film. I sat there watching it thinking, I've had a really good time with this. And considering some of the movies we've watched or movies that have dated badly, this definitely wasn't one of them. So I'm really pleased that I found a film for this podcast that I actually uh, did really enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was bracing myself, to be honest, yes. But it did turn out okay in the end. And yeah, you can pick holes in it and you can say that it isn't a true reflection of how things are. And it may not be, but it's got some grounding in reality. And sometimes you just want something that's going to make you feel good at the end of the day. And eventually Dangerous Minds does make you feel good. It leaves you, as you say, uplifted. And the message is one of hope. You can be anything that you want to be if you try hard enough. And yeah, again, that is a very corny message. But cinema audiences want this sort of thing. You don't really want to go through all of this. If it's a mainstream movie and it's something you're going to go and see at the weekend with a bunch of people, at the end of it, if you're coming out miserable, then that is not what the movie's aim is supposed to be. Yes, you can give them drama, you can give them tragedy, but at the end, you've got to send them out feeling just a little bit good about themselves and the fact that society isn't all that shitty after all, because society generally is shitty. So you need a little bit of escapism in movies, even in stuff like this. And that bloody Coolio song. I mean, it's a great song, but I cannot get it out of my head. I mean, I'm not going <laughs> not gonna to do it at karaoke out of respect to Coolio, because I'm not going to ruin Coolio's legacy by some white guy doing Gangster's Paradise at karaoke, because I ought to be run out of town if I even consider doing that. It's played at the start, it's played in the middle somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, and it's yeah. right at the end as well. So just as it's going out of your mind during the movie, they play the fucking thing again, so it's back in there. <laughs> and then just as you finish the movie, you think, all oh, right, that's fine, and you're dealing with what's, what's happened, and you're thinking about the plot, and you're thinking about the characters. The bloody thing comes on again. So you've got Gangster's Paradise stuck in your head again. I'm not complaining because it's a great song. But yeah, they knew what they were doing when they put the soundtrack together to this. Yeah, in terms of movie soundtrack hits, this is a masterpiece of a song. I absolutely love it. I've always loved this song. And it's been playing in my head all day, very much like you, Darren, sat at work and is in my head. And I can't complain because it is a great song, but I'd rather have something else now because it's just going round and round. But that really just goes to show how much of an impact this song has. And the soundtrack for this movie is great. You know, you've got a mix of genres you've got hip-hop r&b in there loads of really cool songs not anything that i'm particularly familiar with other than gangster's paradise but i really did enjoy the music in it it really does set the tone for the urban setting and the dilapidated setting of the area and gives you a sense of the culture as well so i, I really did enjoy the soundtrack it's great music in it i have to spotify that and uh, have a listen to it one thing we haven't talked about is where, and it's part of the Raoul thing, where Luan goes to see Raoul's parents and Raoul's parents think he's going to get told off. It's like, oh God, what's he done? He's been 
well, he hasn't been expelled, but he's been taken out of the school for a short while because he's had a fight with Emilio and they're saying, well, yeah, you know, we're going to discipline him. And then Luan says, well, no, actually, he was defending himself and he's one of my favourites and he's a really good student. And again, corny moments. You can go one of two ways, that scene. You can think, oh, that's really sweet and you can get a nice warm glow off it. You can probably think, oh, my God, this is so corny. I was on the former. It's something nice in the middle of the movie to sort of hang on to because there's lots of stuff going wrong, but then you get this really sweet moment that they probably didn't need to put in where she goes down to see Raul and his parents and everybody's really cool about it and the house is really vibrant and everybody's having a good time. Yeah, and again, it's that kind of, well, maybe they're downplaying the sort of squalor of the neighbourhood a bit. But again, you don't really want to see people shooting up. And I think the the problem is if you're gonna if you're gonna portray an inner city neighbourhood and a Hispanic inner city neighbourhood, you've got to be very, very careful about what you do. If it's just full of people driving around shooting at each other, it's just like, well that's not real and that's just offensive. But the mm-hmm. other way you can't make it too idyllic either because it's an inner city neighbourhood. And I think it gets the balance just about right. It's a little bit fanciful because the house, it's kind of, again, it's like the Hollywood version of an inner city neighborhood. But I can't really ride this movie too much for that because there are other movies that portray the squalor and the violence of inner city neighborhoods better. This isn't Boys in the Hood. It's Dangerous Minds. Boys in the Hood great movie absolutely great movie definitely see it if you haven't but this occupies a slightly different space and it's a slightly more hopeful and less gritty space yes there are moments that are tragic because you have to have them in in the drama at some point something terrible has got to happen because that's the way movies work overall for all its cheesiness I've got a really soft spot for Dangerous Minds. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, that was another scene I teared up at, actually. It was just seeing the look on his parents' faces, like how proud they were. I don't know why that got me in the feels as well. I just thought that was a really sweet moment. As you say, it does get the balance right. It's, you know, very endearing. The characters are endearing. You can't dislike anybody in it because they're flawed to an extent, but they're people that are looking to better themselves. And it's a very positive message. And as I said before, you just want to root for these characters. And it's just such like a nice relationship that Luan has with them and how she really cares and tries hard for them. It's really heartwarming to see. So this movie did its job as far as I'm concerned. As an audience member, I got emotional during it. And I'm not ashamed of that. You know, I think it is a really, really good film. So to talk a bit about its legacy, it did spawn a spin-off television series which came out in 1996 and ended in 1997. So it's short-lived, 17 episodes. And Michelle Pfeiffer wasn't in it. An actress called Annie Potts took the role of Luan. I've not seen the TV series. I'd be kind of intrigued maybe see the pilot or something just to kind of see how it compares. But, you know, if any film was successful back in the day, there was often a TV show following on, probably with a different cast. So no surprises there. Other interesting facts about it. 
they did film some scenes with Andy Garcia playing Luan's love interest, but they were cut. So I don't know if he was playing the ex-husband, if there was more depth about that. We never meet the ex-husband. He's talked about those suggestions that he was quite abusive. And I think actually with going into spoilers about this, when we hear the backstory of Luanne and what she's been through, so it's that, you know, she was in an abusive marriage, got pregnant, but then made the decision to uh, have an abortion. I think that does add extra layers to her character and shows how strong she is as well, that she was able to walk away from that situation and, again, better her own life as well while um, nurturing these high school kids. But then if there was a subplot where she met somebody else played by Andy Garcia and had love interest, I don't think that would have been necessary to the movie at all. I'm glad they cut it. It would have padded it out too much. I don't see how it would have added anything. This is not like a love story. Yeah, the focus is on Luanne and how she wins these kids over. You get a romantic subplot again. I'm with you. Completely unnecessary. Doesn't need it. And if they did crowbar it in, it's just killing time, basically. This movie doesn't need any other extra subplots, certainly not a romantic one, because that's not the focus of the movie. And at the end, Luan doesn't need a guy to be successful. She's fine as she is. And she closes the movie, wandering down the corridors, perfectly happy, end of story. And they don't have to get some guy in there just so that she's in a relationship, because it's clear that she doesn't need a relationship, which is quite refreshing. TV show, never seen it either. Annie Potts is interesting casting. Annie Potts from uh, Ghostbusters, who's Janine Melnitz in Ghostbusters, The Secretary. Again, with TV shows, Dangerous Minds gets in and gets out and does what it has to do in 98 minutes. Why would you need 17 episodes of a TV show to tell the same story? And I don't think you could expand the universe that much because... There's a very simple story at the centre of Dangerous Minds. And just to keep repeating this over and over and over again just seems a step too far. I don't know where you would take the TV show, and I'm not surprised that it only lasted one season because it's a movie idea, Dangerous Minds. It's an idea that you can get across and have a beginning, a middle and an end in an hour and a half, an hour and 40 there's no reason to have it running for an hour every week on TV. And you're right, I mean, a lot of these successful movies did have TV spin-offs and very few of them came to anything. I mean, the only one I can think of, and it's kind of a reverse one, is that Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie wasn't that successful. TV show, completely different proposition. But that is an exception that proves the rule. Yeah, definitely. I can imagine probably if they were going to make it into a series, it would have been maybe character-centric, focused on a different character's plight in each episode and how Luan helped them. I don't know if that's correct, but that's what I'd imagine they would do to prolong the uh, narrative there. So on a positive note, the real Emilio Ramirez wasn't murdered. He graduated high school, spent four years in the Marine Corps, and is alive and well living in California with his wife and two children. So. Again, as we say that this movie did fictionalise the um, original biography for dramatic licence, so it's kind of nice to hear that things didn't end in tragedy in real life like they did in the film. But I wonder how the real Emilio felt about how he was portrayed. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, if he was watching the movie himself, I wonder how you'd react to seeing yourself 
well, you don't see him die on screen, but being told that you're dead in the movie. It must be a weird feeling, I guess, that it's fictional and you can separate the fictional character from the real guy. But it's an odd thing where, I mean, was he sitting in the premiere? I don't know these sort of things, but it's a strange thing when you've got a character on the screen that's based on a real-life person and then something radically different happens to them in the movie. But I'm glad he's all right. I'm glad I'm glad he's carved out a career for himself and I'm glad he's still with us because you kind of can see where Emilio's going. And even though you get the feeling that he might just make it out, there's one particular point in the movie and as soon as it happens, you think, oh no, Emilio's gone and he is. Yeah, I'm guessing it would have just been loosely based on real events. I guess that yeah. is probably where they were going with it because I suppose you need some sort of dramatic incident to happen in order to progress the plot and have that emotional impact and basically develop the characters further so can't complain about how they dealt with that because it's a very powerful and effective scene but say good that it didn't go that way in real life so it's a kind of positivity here so it, it kind of takes out the gut punch a little bit when you're watching it knowing that in reality everything was fine so, what did the critics think? Rotten Tomatoes, 33% tomato meter. Harsh, very mm, harsh. Yeah. A 64% audience score. I would have personally rated it slightly higher than that. Maybe I'd go for about 75%, I'd say. It has it, you know, its flaws with the stereotyping, but on the whole, it's a very solid film. IMDb have given it a 6.5 out of 10. That's fair. I think the critics did latch onto the stereotyping issues. And I think it's the sort of thing that critics would come down on a movie for because they want everything to be very true to life and show everything warts and all. And to have this slightly glossy version of reality probably wound quite a few of them up. I'm pretty sure that Dangerous Minds isn't aimed at critics. It's just aimed at mainstream audiences who just want to have a good time, be a little bit challenged by the movie, but ultimately be sent home feeling good. Whereas critics are allowed to be a bit sniffy and just say, well, you know, this doesn't portray any sort of reality. I agree with them that it doesn't really portray any sort of reality, but I don't really care because it's the reality that Dangerous Minds is portraying for itself. So it works in its own universe. I mean, I'm not going to give the middle finger to the critics on this one. I can see why they didn't like it, but I think I'll have to respectfully disagree with the critics because I think this is a pretty decent movie. Yeah, absolutely. It's that kind of unlikely hero story. Um, sometimes you just need a bit of that in the cinema and, and there's nothing wrong with it. I would say first time viewing, really enjoyed this film. I'd potentially revisit it again at some point and see how I'd feel maybe in a couple of years. But I'm glad I finally had the opportunity to see it and it's been um, a great discussion. Yeah, thank God it wasn't terrible. <laughs> then you'd have been in trouble. Because <laughs> basically everybody, I gave Darren a choice to be in with the theme of the movie. <laughs> I gave him a list of films that we could potentially choose and this is what he chose. He made a choice. He chose Dangerous Minds. <laughs> I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 93 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to check out Dangerous Minds, you can watch it on Disney Plus in the staff section. 
lots of great movies on there. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode and want to check out some of our future content, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Talking of future content, coming soon, it's episode 94. And although we're sticking to the general format, it's a slightly different method of choosing the movie. We're doing the first of our Spouse's Request episode, where one of our partners gets to choose the movie that we watch. First up, in celebration of my wife Alison's birthday, Alison has picked Cocktail, starring Tom Cruise. And if you'd like to watch Cocktail, you can check that out also on Disney Plus. It's in the star section. This is going to be a first time viewing for me. I know Darren has feelings about this film. So let's see what happens in the next episode. I'm quite excited and a little nervous. Yeah, maybe the years have been kinder to it, but I feel that there may be some swearing coming on. So until then, stay safe, everybody, and we'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.